Now today we're going to look at a breakthrough that actually men have asked me to speak on this subject. Praise the Lord that on Wednesday nights we have now over 300 people in Bible study, so you can look around. We have a lot more people in Bible study on Wednesday night than we have right here. Of course, we have had another service this morning. And men are in the Word, and women are in the Word, and students are in the Word at Zoe, and children are in the Word in Awana. And then that happens on Tuesday, that men are in the Word and women are in the Word, and, and, and on Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Thursday noon and Friday morning in several different places. And I affirm you for being in the Word because you understand life is hard and if I don't have the wisdom of the Word of God, I'm just going to make a lot of decisions that I'm going to regret. But several men said to me, a couple of weeks ago said pastor as you're talking about these breakthroughs I tell you what you need to talk about we need to have a breakthrough that somehow we can understand why we are what we are why do we act one way at church and say amen to the word and go home and act like we haven't heard a thing it's called arguing and complaining and quarreling and being jealous that he got this and I didn't get that. Do any of you ever have that at home? Now, I tell you, when I asked that in the first service, I said, how many of you have even had a good quarrel this week? 75% of everyone in there raised their hand. I said, this is an applicable message, a good message. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians I'm going to let you see why we do what we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we will begin in verse 11. And as we read this passage of Scripture, I want you to know you're going to find yourself. Guaranteed. It's the one passage in all of God's Word, that you can see every person on the earth. They're here. And it's just three places. Only three possibilities that you can be this morning. Now, as we read the passage, I want to identify, well, now this is the first person, this is the second category, this is the third category. You try to identify them. If you have your ink pen, Pencil, just put a circle around the three persons. And I encourage you to, as we go through this study this morning, to resist the temptation that once you identify, and all of us that live together is called family, you know where everyone is in your family. So once we get to those persons, don't elbow your person like, okay, do you know that's you? Don't do that. Don't do that. I want this to be an encouraging study, not an angry study. And by the way, two of the places you don't want to be. Now, if you find yourself in those two places, I want, to, want you to know I'm going to give you the good news. 
I'm going to give you the good news if you're in a place you don't want to be. And it's promises of God of what can happen if you're in a place you don't want to be. Now the thing you must be is courageous enough that when we look at these places, if that's you, you just say, well, that's me. That's just where I am. Knowing you don't have to stay there. Now there's one place when we see it, every one of us, we're going to say, that's where I want to be. And by the way, that's God's intention for us. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And no elbows, okay? No coughs. No, you know, innuendos. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? That's just saying nobody knows us like we know ourselves. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except, underline that, the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. If you have NIV or King James, it says foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? But I brothers, and just circle that word brothers, because I'm going to show you how significant that is, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Let's go through this and identify these three places that we can all find ourselves someplace today. Roman numeral one, Capital A, number one. The first place we can find ourselves, the natural person. Write it in. The natural person, you see it there in verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now let's just stop there. And in your message notes, just put a dash and, and write, because he has not been 
changed. And you can write in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18. Some of you know it. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, and what has happened? The old. Now, what is the old? The old is that old attitude that whether right or wrong, I'm going to do it my way. See, until God, by His Holy Spirit, convicts us and brings us to a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, that's to change my mind about my perspective, how I'm going to see life. Nothing in this book makes sense if your mind has not been changed by God. The next phrase, it says, for they are folly to him, foolishness to him. Now, in your margin, write the scripture. 1 Corinthians 1. I changed Bibles between services because I was preaching in an NIV and I wanted to preach what's on there. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. See there where he says, For the word of the cross is folly. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't make sense to a world that for God so loved the world, he gave his son on the cross. That doesn't make any sense to a lost world. Now you can think, many of you in here have received Christ in your life in the last year or two. And you know what made sense to you if you thought about having a relationship with God? It was what? To try harder and be a better person. And that's what religion is. Religion says, try as hard as you can, be a good person, and that'll make you right with God. But because God is holy, you can never be good enough. That's why God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet in sin, Christ died. Well, until the Spirit of God opens the eyes of your heart, that seems folly. That seems foolishness. And the Scripture goes on there to say, the natural man, he's not able to understand anything about the Word of God. Do you know why when lost men try to read this book? And lost men do try to read this book. Now, I was taking ancient history when I was in college, way back in 1970. And I took it from this professor that right out in your face, he let you know he was an atheist. But he probably knew more facts about the Old Testament than I did when I was 19 because he realized there was no better book of ancient history in the world than the Bible. But he had no spiritual discernment. In fact, all he did when he read it, he read it for historical facts about ancient history and he tried to find mistakes in it. Because he did not have the Spirit of God in him. And without the Spirit of God in you, you are spiritually blind to any spiritual truth. And that's why a lost man has no hunger and thirst for the Word of God to read it to feed his soul.
Now that's one of the ways that you can know you have the Spirit of God in your life is the Spirit of God gives you a hunger and a thirst for His Word. Now you say, well, that's a bad place to be. Yes, it is a bad place to be. You know why it's a bad place to be? Because you live a life of sin and you never figure out why you're going through so much suffering. If you're here today and you've not yet come to trust Jesus Christ, to open your eyes and see there's a better way than just living out of your flesh, I have good news for you. See, Jesus, look at Luke 19.10. The reason why God became flesh and sent His Son Jesus to this earth is He came to seek and to save the natural man. Because, see, you can sin all you want to, but have you figured out you cannot choose the consequences of your sin? And all consequences of sin has suffering. Now, some of you old-timers can remember a family, Ben and Ashley Gormley. One year, Ashley Gormley, and in a few weeks, ladies, it's going to be time to buy Christmas tea tickets. So I'm making this kind of as, as an advertisement, get ready to buy your Christmas tea tickets. But Ashley was our speaker. And Ashley, see, had grown up. She gave her story, if you remember. She grew up, and her daddy was an alcoholic. And when her daddy was drunk, and guess what? I met her daddy once. And he wept as I talked to him about Jesus. Because he didn't want to be an alcoholic. He didn't want all the consequences that had come in his life from alcohol, and yet he didn't give his life to Christ when I talked to him. There was still this spiritual blindness. But one night after beating Ashley's mom up, his wife, Ashley's mom took her and the other little sisters all in their little nightgowns, and out in the cold winter night, they ran for their life. And Ashley grew up, and I call it, and psychologists call it, a daddy hole in her little heart. And see, when you have a daddy hole in your heart, and, and her daddy wanted to be the best daddy, as ever daddy wants to be the best daddy. But she grew up with a daddy hole. And I know many of you have a daddy hole in your heart. Your daddy didn't want to put those holes in your heart, but you have them. Because he didn't understand there's a better way than being a natural man. He just did the best he knew how. But Ashley talked about in her testimony. She said, you know, when you don't know God, you just do the best you know how. And so she went through high school and college and her young adult years, and Ashley was a type A person. She was a go-getter in business. And she made a lot of bad choices. Looking for love in all the wrong places. And that brings what? More holes in your heart. And with tears in her eyes, she said, ladies, ladies, because God is love, He lets us have free will and you can make any choice you want. 
But what I didn't understand, now see, this was spiritual discernment that came to Ashley after she got saved. You can sin all you want to, but you cannot choose the consequences. And I was standing in the back when she said that, and I told her, I wrote that down in my Bible. I never heard it put that way. You can sin all you want to, but you cannot choose the consequences. But see, the natural person just keeps sinning and wonders, why am I going through all of this? See, right in 1A there. Well, let me just show you. John 16, 8, 9, you see that scripture there? The good news is the Holy Spirit has come to convict us and open your eyes. And even today, the Holy Spirit is at work in any person in this room that you've never trusted Christ to open your eyes to say, hey, there's a better way than a life of sin. 2 Peter 3, 9 is good news. It says that God desires that none would perish, but all would come to know Him. And by the way, a life of sin is a life of perishing. See the good news? Write it in, 1A. This person, that is the natural person, does not have to stay blind to the consequences of sin, and this person does not have to be bound to a life of sin. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news, Jill? Jill, next Sunday, I introduced her to first service last week, but I'll introduce her to you. A couple of weeks ago, we went through the scriptures. See, Jill grew up in church her whole life. Heard about God her whole life. Heard about Jesus her whole life. Heard about believing in Jesus her whole life. But she had never had anyone take her through the scriptures to talk about what godly sorrow leading her to repentance is. And as the Holy Spirit convicted her and opened her eyes, and you can know when the heart's been touched, because when the heart's been touched, someone turns on the what? The tears. And from the heart, the Holy Spirit convicts, and you realize how much God loves you. You realize how good God is that he gave his son Jesus. And she said, Pastor Phil, I've never understood repentance. Yes, I want to repent. I only have one life. I've sinned enough to see there's always consequences. The devil blinds me and thinks this is fun. He never tells me about the consequences. And she'll be in the water next Sunday with others saying, I now belong to God the Father, the Son. Once I was blind, but now I see. It's no longer my life. I'm in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Give her a great big hand of affirmation. Today, if you're the natural man, the natural woman, that is just the person that no matter what you've been through in the past, if you've never been in church or if you've been raised in church. But here's the way you know. Do you have a hunger and thirst for this book called God's Word? See, the natural man can't work that up. Only the Spirit of God in a man or woman can work that up. That's one evidence that you know you have Christ in your life. 
You have a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. It's God that gives you that. And when you read it, does it make sense to you? Or does it say, I don't know what this means. See, it's the Spirit of God that gives you understanding for the Word of God. That's how you know you have His presence in your life. And let me just say to you, respectfully, kindly, encouragingly, I had three brothers that were in church just like me every, day, every time the door was open. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when we would have revival meetings every night of the week. But all three of them, when they got to high school, they demonstrated they didn't have the Spirit of God in their life. When they went off to college, they were in all kinds of addictions, immorality. One's in prison right now. In fact, just a couple of months ago, I visit with him once a month. And uh, he said, you know, Phil, isn't it amazing how long it has taken me? He's been in prison now for four and a half years. He has ten and a half more years to serve. And he said, isn't it amazing, he's 56 years old, how long it has taken me to finally surrender my life to the Lord. But isn't that the goodness and grace of God, that God is so merciful that he would wait all these years because my little brother's heard the gospel his whole life. Well, let's look at the second person. Look at the second person. Now, this is where we all want to be. Did you see it when we were reading? It is in verse 15. Write it in your notes. The spiritual person. And then it says something very interesting about the spiritual person. It says, verse 15, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now what's that speaking about? What that's speaking about is once we come to Christ, see, just write in your margin there, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the, the righteousness of God. And see, the Scripture says in Hebrews that it is appointed to each one of us Death, and then what? Judgment. But we're not judged by man. Once you come to Christ, you're only judged by God. And in His grace and kindness and mercy, you are judged when you're in Christ, forgiven. Isn't that good? Now let me ask you. If you're around people that are not Spirit-filled, do they judge you very much? All the time. It's called, it starts with a C. It's called criticism. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit in your marriage, you will find it very easy to criticize your spouse. Have you ever figured out why? Well, you say, well, pastor, if you knew my spouse, you would be critical too. 
And see, we think that we criticize because the spouse is not perfect. I want all the perfect spouses to raise their hand. Go throughout the world and ask all perfect spouses. No, we do not criticize because a person's perfect. We criticize because that's what our character is. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, whatever is in the... And he's not talking about the organ that pumps. He's talking about our inner being. Whatever my character is, it's going to come out right here. See, when our boys would say something ugly to each other, their mom, right down here, she would say, I'm going to wash your mouth out, because that's what her mama did with her. But let me ask, mamas, does that ever help to change the heart? No, it just causes your little one, <coughs> or like one of our little rebellious sons said, Mom, I like the taste of soap. <laughs> so we had to go work on this area a little more. See, that's our heart. Now look at this person. This person, the spiritual person, this is an incredible person. And by the way, next week, I'm going to give you all of these verses. I haven't counted them up because the other day I was trying to count them on my computer and it was making my eyes go buggy. But I can just tell you, it'll be five, six hundred verses that it took me about three and a half weeks as I was just turning the pages of my Bible, looking at the commands and promises of God for us. And I mean, it, it is just incomprehensible the life that God has saved us for. When you receive Christ in your life, repenting of your sins, it is just amazing the victorious, abundant life that we have in Christ. And I'm going to give you, it'll be like a little book. Because I was just going to give you ten verses from each book, and Stacy said, oh, pastor, this is a gold mine. You've got to just give them the whole book. But as you look at that, I want you to know, that's why when we started this church, we said we are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith. Because how could we be anything less when we see the promises of God for our lives? Well, see, that's the spiritual person. See, just look down here in verse 12 and 13 of what it says that we have when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. In verse 12 it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit, capital S, who is from God, that we might, and underline it in your Bible, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. that we might understand the things freely given us by God. I know in my life I've wasted far much too time as God's child being discouraged, being defeated, being anxious, being worried, being fearful. And I experience those times in my life whenever I choose moment by moment, not to be yielded to the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
Because when I'm not yielded to the Holy Spirit in my life, I see things with the natural eyes instead of spiritual eyes. That's why you can write in your margin there. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prayed and he said, I pray that God might enlighten your eyes, that he might literally open the eyes of your heart. Not your eyes in your head, the eyes of your heart, that you could see the power of God that literally raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's in your life. And it goes on and it says, the power of God that literally ascended Jesus to the right hand of the throne of God is the power that's in your life. Is that the power you're experiencing? I mean, it's incredible. And it says, when I am the spiritual person that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit, I am able to comprehend what God has saved me for. Read on there in verse 12 and 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Write down 1 John 16. 13. That's where Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will teach you and lead you into all truth. And what did Jesus say in John 8, 32? When you hold to the truth of God's Word, it will set you free. So right in there, 2a, this person, that is the spiritual person, has the indescribable privilege of living under the authority of God's Word, surrendered to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to live out God's promises and commands to His glory. Now, you're in 1 Corinthians. If you'll turn just about 10 pages to your right, unless you have a study Bible, you should be in Colossians 3. Because I want you to mark some incredible promises of being raised with Christ. Colossians 3. If you didn't have any other Bible and you wanted to be reminded daily of what is it to be a spiritual person, just read Colossians 3, 1 to 17. It's lengthy, but it is so profound powerfully. If then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. See, that's what happens when we come to Christ. He raises us out of being spiritually dead, being disobedient, being depraved, being a quarreler, envious, unhappy. He's raised us. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. See, that's repentance. You've changed your whole mind about how you're going to live. And your life now is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And what's peace? It's the wholeness of God. Let it rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now that's who we are in Christ. That's the spiritual man. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 2, and let's look at that last person. We have the person without Christ. We have the person, and the reason we receive Christ is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we have this person described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, and I told you circle that word. See, that's the implication that these are persons that receive Christ to be spiritual persons. But they are not spiritual persons. Look what he says. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now here is the evidence that they're infants in Christ. That is, even though it's been years since they received in Christ, they're acting like babies. He said, I fed you, verse 2, with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Look at the left-hand side of your page. This last week, in trying to incorporate what our men have been studying in the book of Acts and what we were going to study today, I did a study for our men to say, if you just start reading Acts, and we're presently in chapter 12, if you go from chapter 1 to 12, you will see that even though these men that had decided that Jesus was the Messiah, and so when they saw his miracles, and he said, come follow me, they had left everything, and they had followed him. But we know without the power of their spirit in their life, they continued to what? To fail. They continued to be faithless in their love for Jesus. And in fact, right before Jesus goes to the cross, 
He says, one of you is going to betray me. And remember, they begin to say, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Is that me? And then Peter said, Lord, no matter what the rest of them do, I will be faithful. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Never, Lord, never. I'll die first. And the cock crowed. And the scripture says that Peter went out and wept bitterly because we know Peter loved Jesus with all of his heart. And the more you love someone, when you fail them, it kills you. Now here's the good news again. If you've received Jesus in your life, but you have never learned to live moment by moment the Spirit-filled life, I want you to know you don't have to live the rest of your life being faithless and failing the Lord. It's a miserable existence. The good news is, did Peter come to Jesus after he had failed him, or did Jesus go to Peter? Jesus went to Peter. It's recorded. First of all, he appeared on that resurrection day a week later, but then in John 21, Peter had said to the boys, we don't have the Lord to feed us anymore. we got to go fishing. And they're out fishing, and Peter, he didn't go to Jesus. Jesus went to Peter. And Jesus says, Hey! And Peter says, That's the Lord! He jumps out of the boat. And Jesus is fixing breakfast. It had to be the best breakfast ever prepared because it was the Creator. And He starts ministering to them, loving them. See, that's good news. Wherever you failed. See, I told my brother in prison when he says, it sure has taken me a long time. I said, well, buddy, praise the Lord, you finally did. And we have such a sweet fellowship now. You know, all, from the time he was about 18 and he went wild and rebellious, he wouldn't even speak to me for years. Isn't it amazing the horrible things sin would do? At times when I'd try to share Christ, when he went through a divorce, he'd say, I don't need a preacher, I just want a brother. He'd tell my mom, tell him, I don't want to ever talk to him again. It's horrible the years when my older brother died of cancer and I did the funeral through bitterness. He hadn't spoken to him for five or six years. But I saw him at that funeral just beating the casket. And I thought, the waste of bitterness. Because he'd give anything now if he could tell his brother how he loved him. He was bitter at my dad when he died. He didn't even call my mom, didn't come to that funeral. It's horrible what sin would do in your life. But the good news is God kept coming to him. God kept coming to him. And even in a prison cell, he humbled himself and said, Oh Lord, I put my life under your authority. Forgive me. And the good news is God did. 
See, I want you to know, if you've received Christ and you've never been discipled in the Word, to know how each day to humble yourself before God and allow His presence to rule in your life. Allow the authority of God's Word to be your authority rather than your circumstances, rather than your feelings. That's why we do all these Bible studies. That's why we have all these care groups. To love each other where we are. To encourage each other where we are. But see, these persons write in number three. It's time to close. But brothers, you say you've received Christ, but you haven't grown any. And when you look over here at this description of what it means to be spiritual, just look at that. The early church, and this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you start obeying God instead of arguing with Him. God puts in your heart a dependence, and you just long to seek Him and be with Him and praise Him. You have His power to be an overcomer. He gives you a passion and a priority to share Jesus with others. He makes you a giver. Your life, your time, your talent, your money, your first fruits. You proclaim the gospel. And because all of us are proclaiming every Sunday, there's new people coming to Christ. We're a growing church. We're a devoted church. We're unexplainable to His glory. And yes, the world doesn't always like that. But we're an overcoming church because He's our power to overcome. And we're ever having breakthroughs. We're a learning church. Now that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a spiritual person. Does that describe your life? If that doesn't describe your life and you say you're in Christ, then you know where you are. Because there's only three categories. Now see, the fact is, in my life, by God's grace, I am totally committed to being a spiritual person. But there are times when I'm not a spiritual person. I'm a carnal-minded person. I don't see difficulty through the eyes of God. When I see difficulty through the eyes of man, I become what? Discouraged, fearful, anxious. But the Spirit of God comes to me, just like Jesus went to Peter and says, Hey, little boy, remember whose you are. Remember what you're for. You're for me. I'm not giving you a spirit of fearfulness, so if you're fearful right now over this circumstance, it's not my spirit. I've given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Remember your position in me. You're dead. You've come alive on me. Get dead. I want to be alive in you. I raised you with Christ. See, it's a moment-by-moment practicing of His presence. It's a moment-by-moment, just like you breathe. You know what the good news is? Look at those scriptures down there as we close. Seeing right in the answers on 3a, these persons, having said they trusted Christ to be their Lord and Savior, are now thinking and acting like the natural person. But the good news is 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that was actually written a couple years later than this. 
And Paul is saying God is still patient. God is still merciful. But if you are saying that you're a Christian and not living it, you need to take a test. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Let's read it together. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That takes courage, doesn't it? Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? How do you pass the test? Well, just look at the fruit of your life. And where do you see the fruit of your life? You see the fruit of your life at home. Right? We kind of all know, once you come to church, we know how to behave in church. I don't meet too many ugly people at church. Now, there are occasions I meet ugly people at church, but most people I meet at church, they know how to act. See, if I see you, I haven't seen you for several years, have I? And we just say, hi, glad to see you. I used to see her at Zoe all the time. She graduated and took off. Do I know you? Well, I'm about to. Glad you're here. But see, you came to church. You've never been here, right? First time, but you just came in, said, listen. He figured the rest of them are sitting here. I'll sit here too. And when you get up and walk out, if someone says hi, you say hi. So it's at home where you take the test. And as you take the test, has Christ done a work in your life where you obey him? You say, well, I know I've trusted Christ. I know he brought godly sorrow in my life. I know I've repented. But I still am carnal-minded most of the time. Well, if you know you've received Christ, you know what you need? You need discipleship. And discipleship involves other people. That they love on you. They share the word with you. They encourage you. They pray with you. You talk about your challenges. They talk about how God's enabled them to overcome. And you see God working in your life. And you grow in his grace and knowledge. But you know, when I got to college and I saw my brother living like he was, I just said, Doug, how can you be a Christian living like this? And it took a year because God always comes to us. God broke his heart. And God broke through that pride and that blindness. And one day he said, Phil, I'm lost. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but my life's never been changed. And he was changed. That can happen to you today. You know, Hebrews 3, 7 to 14 says, don't harden your heart. We're out of time, so I won't read all that. It says, don't harden your heart. 1 John 5, 18 says it this way. It's kind of it's hard. It says, he who keeps on sinning does not know Christ. You know, for my two younger brothers, I'd say, buddies, this is in middle school, high school, young... You, you, you can't know Christ and be living like this. Of course, they'd get mad at me. I'd say, come to Christ. The Scripture just says you can't keep living in sin and say you know Christ. Why? 
Because when you know Christ, he changes you. See, that's how you know. I don't want one person to doubt whether or not you know Christ, but I don't want you to go through life like I know America's filled with people. Just like when Jill came in, the first thing she said is, I'm a Christian. A lot of people, as soon as they come in, they'll just say, I'm a Christian. And I just kind of say, okay, because I know I can't convince anyone whether they're Christian or non-Christian. I just read the scriptures to them. I just show them what the Word of God says because it's only the Holy Spirit that can convict you. It's only the Holy Spirit that can convince you. It's only the Holy Spirit that can break your heart over your sin. Now, you can know this. If you still defend your sin, that's an absence of God in your life. Because when you love God and His presence is in you, He will break your heart over what breaks His heart. And you know why it breaks His heart? Because He had to give His Son to pay for sin. And by the way, check it out. Two verses up from that verse, 1 John 5, 18. In verse 16, it says, There is a sin unto death. And you say, what does that mean? What that means is this perfect loving God that loves us and is merciful and kind and faithful he hates sin and if his children that are carnal minded stay in sin there is the sin unto death where God takes his children home and see I really don't know enough about that scripture to preach on it I'm just telling you it's there But if you are here today and you say, well, you know what? I see where I am. I'm carnal-minded. I prayed to receive Christ. But I have a proud heart, and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll just say to you, as I used to tell my brothers, that's dangerous. And is that scaring you? No, it's warning you from the Word of God. But we are here today to be what? Spiritual persons. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Remember, this is a good news message. If you're the natural person, you can be saved today. If you find yourself that third person, you know you've been saved, but you're not living saved. You need to come home to God. Oh, Father, I thank you for your Spirit's working in every one of our lives today, wherever we are. And I thank you, God, you know. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit's conviction of bringing courage in each of our lives to just say, this is where I am, knowing you love us. And Lord, if we're lost, that today we would trust Christ's death on the cross for the payment of our sins. 
we would respond to your conviction by repenting, changing our mind about disobedience to you. And receiving your Holy Spirit in our life, not just to come in, but to take the throne of our life, to rule in our life. And we would understand, now the old is gone, that old attitude of rebellion, and now the new has come. And we would be discipled. We'd get into a care group, a Bible study group, to grow in the Word. We'd get godly accountability and encouragement in our life. And Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in and through our lives. Father, thank you for the privilege of just moment by moment surrendering our lives to your presence, to live under the authority of your word. We thank you for such a life. Oh, Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace and kindness that when we get distracted and discouraged and defeated and start seeing things from a worldly view rather than a biblical view, you're there to convict us. And Lord, any of us that find ourselves there today, may we come home to you. We thank you, Father, for your mercy and your forgiveness and your cleansing. And Father, we thank you for new beginnings in you. Father, we just praise you for your faithfulness in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Look at the announcements. You can just stand with me. We're about ready to go. Real important announcements. Turn to the spotlight. You see, first of all, that today is Michael and Vicki Shattuck's last day with us on staff. And I invite all of you to come to a reception in their honor to love and appreciate them today in our new fellowship area from 4 to 6 o'clock. And then I've listed just October's important dates, and there's a bunch of them. And I'll let you look at those. One of the things that I invite you to do, you see this insert where it says prayer intercessory ministry? I encourage you from this day today, until election day is 38 days. If you listen to Christian radio, uh, millions of Christians are encouraged to pray for 40 days, so we're on day 38. But what you have here is the October calendar, and we encourage you as families to just pray whatever else God leads you to pray, but pray on these particular areas, and then you will see on that Sunday night before Election Day, we're going to have a church-wide family prayer meeting in the chapel. I hope we have so many people we can't meet in the chapel. I hope we have to come in here. And we're going to pray together. And for all of you that would feel led to fast and pray, we're going to encourage us from that Sunday night service to fast and pray. And I'll explain more about that. If you don't know what that is, I'll teach you the biblical meaning of fasting and praying, that we'll fast and pray through uh, voting day, through that Tuesday. So put that on your calendar now. And then lastly, you notice that bottom line. Oh, by the way, with Michael being gone, 
Philip's going to start a study. He's downstairs today. It's his team that are taking care of the preschoolers. Phil loves to study about end times. He loves to study about Israel and, and all that's going on. And just in light of the elections, he's going to do a study the, the next few weeks. And you see about that. That will be down in the comments starting next week. And then the bottom line concerning budget giving. What that says, and for you that are visiting today, our church, they always get happy when I say, we've built this building over here over the last six and a half years, and we've never borrowed a penny. And everybody applauds. And then I say, yeah, you don't need to applaud that. And I say, and you know, we've never paid a penny of interest. And everybody applauds. Well, all these years, because we'd give the money first, even before we take a bid, we've lived for the last six and a half years with 200000 to 800000 in the building. Because once you get the money, then it takes sometimes a month to bid it, and then sometimes it takes six months to do the work before they get paid. So we've always had this big bank account that if we got low on our budget, and you remember a few years ago, we got 100000 low on our budget, and we said... We need to give attention to our budget because we have had to borrow from our building and we will pay our building back. And what happened in year-end giving, that money came in and we paid the building back. So we always knew what account was what account. But you know how much we have in our building fund now? And by the way, all the bills are paid. Everything you see over there, it is paid for. Isn't that good? But now that it's all paid for, you know how much we have in our building fund? Uh, about 16000 So when I had the meeting with Joe and we did all the books and we were double-checking, we want to make sure everything's paid. And I mean, that even includes any bids that we're still working on finishing, like putting a guardrail out there and, and steps. What we, We've already spent that money, even though it's still in our bank account. Once we bid something... We count it, it's gone. So now that we're that way, we no longer have this cushy, cushy account that if we go beneath. So I'm telling you, we cannot keep going five to 10,000 behind in budget because we don't have any cushy, cushy fund to go to. Okay? So we're going to stop all giving to finish and furnish that building. So don't give any more to the building fund. Now, if you want to give your first fruit and $100,000 to finish the building, I will take it today. But other than that, don't give to the building. I'm being facetious, of course. Let's give first fruit giving to our budget, okay? And I thank you for that. And we'll keep on keeping on. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, as your word says, your indescribable gift of your working in our lives. And Father, I thank you today to your honor and glory and for our joy and good. There's been many, many breakthroughs. That as we went through the word, if there were people that say, man, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. They trusted you as Lord and Savior.
Father, if we found ourselves, we know we have you in our life, but we're sure not enjoying it. That today we move from being carnal-minded to saying, Lord, I, I yield my life to your presence and power. And I start new. And Father, we just thank you. We thank you for everything that you've done in this church family the last 19 years. Father, we praise you, we praise you, we praise you. And Lord, we just thank you today that you're always the God that's coming to us saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And Father, we do that, we trust you. And we praise you for that holy privilege. And I thank you, Lord, for what you have prepared for us, even this week as we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God richly bless you all. Greet one another in the Lord. I love you all. God bless you.